0: Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
2: You're listening to a podcast from the
1: Word.
0: Well, welcome to another. Well, what is it? Word in your attic, word in your ear, word in your shop. It could be anything. When we started doing these things over two years ago, I think our objective was to talk to people who had a lot of records in their house, didn't we, Mark? That was yeah. pretty much our objective. And I think, I think, I think this time we've we really hit the jackpot. I'm delighted to be joined by Joel Diaz. Uh Hello, Joel. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Joel is in a is in a, a place in, in a house in East London. I think that's fair to say. What many more specific than that? It's got a lot of records in it, hasn't it, Joel? It Do, has. You, yeah, do you ever keep a count on how many you've got there? Oh goodness, I, I, I'd say it's definitely in the
2: um, in the five figures range. Um, in what what around sort of fifteen to twenty thousand range? I don't know. It's 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 too much. Um, what I do know is that what, what's in my own personal collection, which is around two thousand, but then there's everything else.
0: There's everything else. So it's the everything else, particularly that we're going to we're going to focus on uh, today, because this is also the the kind of headquarters of of brighter day vinyl, which people may have come across on Twitter or on social media or whatever, because Joel's been very active in acquiring. Lots and lots of old records and rehoming them, I think is the expression they actually yes. use. Finding good homes for them, that's <laughs> it. Good, good homes for them. Well, uh, every record deserves a good home. Well, mm-hmm. they, there you go. And uh, we, so we're looking into that. Now, what we traditionally do is ask people when we start these chats is, can you remember, just to get an idea, can you remember what was the record playing equipment in your home when you were a child? Oh
2: goodness me! No, well, my 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 dad had a really—I can't remember the make, but I remember he had a beautiful turntable, beautiful speakers. But he would often just sit in front of the turntable with his headphones on and just lose himself in the music. But I, I can't remember the make, but it was like a proper turntable with a weight on the back, and it was oh, you right. Know, so it was proper. It was like, don't touch. This is I mean, don't touch. Hard. Don't even look. <laughs>
1: don't, don't <laughs> even, don't <laughs> breathe. Two they, people. people. Too big a so, bit on the, on the on the
0: arm to keep no, it down. No, probably not. Far too probably not, actually, that. no, yeah. it's true. So what kind of stuff did he listen to?
2: Oh, sort of 60s, 70s, everything beat onwards, really. But then huge fan of Floyd, Zeppelin, Sabbath. I grew up on Sabbath.
0: Right, so you actually had a dad who'd sit in the sound room in the front and lose himself in Atom Heart Mother. You see, Mark and I can't imagine that. No, we're, we're far too old. We're too old. We
1: didn't have that. <laughs> we're really <Do> you, envious.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine what that was like at all. So, what was your what was the first record you got yourself? Well, I I was trying to find it and
2: I couldn't um, because um, I guess this is showing my age. It was a Megadeth cassette tape. (laughs)
0: right
2: right, Okay. So it would have been at school. I would have saved my money. I would have got the bus to Walthamstow and I would have bought Euthanasia by Megadeth on cassette. (laughs) And I remember it being very, I mean, because I grew up in a house full of music and this was my music and it very much set the tone. But I, I kind of, I wanted to cheat because I thought about like my first record and I thought, oh, I wonder if I can cheat and say that like, the first record I ever stole, not that exciting, but like, stole from my brother.
0: And I have it here. Because, on.
1: Oh, this is good.
0: Oh, Guns N' Roses. Okay. okay. Was that the, is that the double album? It is, is it? No, this is the debut. Oh, that's the first one. Okay. Yeah. Appetite for Destruction. Because
2: yeah. for me, there was a sort of, it was the moment before I heard Appetite for Destruction. And the moment after I heard of instruction when I was about 11 years old were very profound moments. And I just stole my brother's tape, listened to it constantly, and uh, become a man to listen. To.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I went in a boy, I came
2: out
0: a man. That's exactly. right. <laughs> so it's such a profound effect. Yeah. So you ended up working in the in the music business. That's correct. In what capacities? Right. So
2: I um I was very fortunate. I did a whole host of work experience placements. I didn't know anyone in the music industry. All I knew was that I was a music obsessive and I loved music and I was always going to gigs and, um, I did a bunch of music, uh, work experience placements and Corder Marshall, um, of infectious records and mushroom records. He took me under his wing and with Corder, I worked for about five years and I worked as his sort of AR scout. His, um, He's run around. So for about five years, I saw thousands and thousands of bands, at the Dublin Castle, and the Barfly and the Falcon, and running around Candom, then running around East London, and um, would find bands for him and uh, had a good run for a while. Um, Mushroom and Infectious Records was acquired by Warner, so I was an A&R manager for Atlantic Records, which was an absolute dream come true, considering some of the artists that worked on Atlantic. So, who were you dealing with at Atlantic? So, I was part of the team that brought in and signed The Darkness. It was probably the biggest act I had a part of working in, but working with, which uh, was a bit crazy for a while because they were they were quite big.
1: <laughs> um, they were huge. That must have been a wonderful feeling when you watch a thing like that just take off internationally. It was. It was overwhelming.
2: I was not prepared for it. And and I, and I say not prepared, not that I thought I played, I, I played a role. Um, I think for a while I was kind of known as the kid who discovered the darkness and that, yeah. that was quite overwhelming. And I was not prepared for it. I was not prepared for the sort of attention that brings someone. I was more content going to Sheffield and Leeds trying to find dodgy emo bands because I, I loved emo music. I loved the emotional hardcore scene. I loved heavy metal so I ended up working with some ex well one called Funeral for a Friend from South Wales. Had a lot of fun with. And another artist called Get Cape Where Cape Fly. Yeah. And, um, it was a it was a lot of fun. But it was it was I, I I definitely think of myself as a kid who kind of got lucky and I was not prepared and I wasn't perhaps looking after myself and uh, I was perhaps behaving as poorly as some of the bands that I was uh, following. Oh, right. Okay. okay. So you came to a point where you didn't want to do that anymore. Well, I, I, <laughs> I didn't have a choice. Atlantic fired me. Um, and, uh, and I ended up in band management. And I managed a, a number of bands, the biggest being a band called The Joy Formidable from North Wales. And we toured the world. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then that didn't work out. So then I joined Sony Music and I relaunched a label for them called Music for Nations, which was a classic heavy metal label from the 80s and 90s. And I relaunched Music for Nations for Sony and I reissued a bunch of catalog and then we started to sign new acts. And then I was let go from them. And then there comes this point where you kind of go, oh, there's a there's a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme.
1: Serial dismissal. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And it, and, it, and it provokes a, a lot of self-reflection and you kind of go, what's going on? Because I, I have a talent with music and artists and bands, but there's something that kind of keeps on reenacting. And then that led to <clears throat> the last five years of my life, which is sobriety,
0: becoming a psychotherapist and buying and selling secondhand records. So so the latter two kind of work together, don't they? I, I'm interested in this. You see, you, you've got the second hand record business, which is your way of kind of subsidizing your training and, and redirecting yourself into psychotherapy. Is that is that fair to say? That is fair to say. I, I never knew how expensive it'd be to train to become a psychotherapist.
2: <laughs> yeah. Enormously expensive. Um and uh and I, I needed to find something else to do that could pay for it. And I and I toyed with managing with bands but managing bands is it's all encompassing it, it's too much it's so overwhelming to, to 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 look after someone's career i take it very seriously and any time i've worked with the bands i've wanted to give it my all and i knew i couldn't split that right so i my father gave me his record collection um that led to me this growing interest of records i started to buy collections and then i started to sell the odd record and then i realized that i absolutely loved it i loved yeah the whole process of sourcing records buying them and then selling them and i ran a, a little shop with a, a friend.
1: yeah you had a physical shop didn't you
2: briefly as yeah. well as yeah have, we still, have you still got that no we we kind of split our businesses about two years ago because i wanted to run things a bit differently and i had my psychotherapy training and there was this moment where I thought I could run a shop and I had this ambition of being the sort of banquet of the East. Because banquet records, I love what they do. Um, they do new stuff, obviously, and they do the in-stores. And I thought, there's nothing like that in Essex. But again, I'd sought a path which meant a tremendous amount of work, a lot of involvement, and I didn't know that I could do that, and the psychotherapy. So I thought, well, what aspect of, it, of what I do I love the most? And it was buying second-hand records. And it was music discovery. And thus, I just decided to do it myself, and we split the businesses. My old colleague still runs a shop up the road, and then I run what I run here from my
0: my house. So basically, and, what you do, if I get understand this, is is you, um, you know, if people want to buy records from you, you, uh, you you they contact you via WhatsApp. They get on a WhatsApp group, yes, and then on Thursday evenings. Very exciting this I took part I saw this last thursday you You publish on whatsapp a load of videos of you flicking through your most recent acquisitions. Is that fair to say and then and then if people want those at those prices they they contact you via whatsapp and so you you sell them you, so you you you've got every all the all the parts of the service of the shop other than the actual shop is that fair to say? Thursday nights, 730 on BBC One, some of the pops. Don't touch that dial.
1: Thursday nights,
2: 730. It's the, it's the flip through Thursday, which is, which I've been running now for two years. And that's it. I, I, what, what used to be like a box of records is now eight, nine boxes of records, all priced up, all graded up, all ready to be bought. And then that gets published to WhatsApp to my where are
1: you buying them from are you buying them at fairs or buying them from individuals or or acquiring whole collections
2: i'm acquiring whole collections so i have adverts that are everywhere so if you're if you've inherited a collection or you're downsizing or you just don't want to play your records or you don't play your records anymore i get lots of calls from people who who say this is the third time we've moved in 20 years and the boxes of records have still stayed in the boxes. They've not take, we've not taken them out. We just don't listen to them anymore. So it's things like that. And people who have passed away. So I get calls from house clearance people and relatives of people who have died. So I travel all over the country to see wonderful record collections, some I'm fortunate enough to acquire. I bring them all back here, work my way through them, and price them up and 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 they go into the
0: flick through thursday so do some let's, examples let, of let things that go, let's go through yeah. this this process so somebody okay. gets in touch with you and says you know i to get rid of a load of my records and, and and i live in north wales or whatever you know um how do you decide whether what they've got is worth you going to have a look
2: well it's just using the technology that's now available So I'll often, as quick as possible, try and get the conversation onto WhatsApp because then it's so easy to share photos or share videos. Right. Get the idea that it's a a genuine collection that's not been normally cherry-picked from every distant relative. Oh, right. It's not just the Max Bygraves, but a genuine collection that's just been kept together. And I will travel. I'll go up. I'll take a closer look. I'll track the condition. I'll make an offer
0: do you have to do you have to kiss a lot of frogs as they say you know to, <laughs> to get I, a decent collection I've
2: gone to the second and third base with a lot of frogs um, <laughs> but it's part of the job and and I think it's you, you just you you very much get an um, a good idea when you're speaking to someone right and you just yeah. kind of get this i, I call it the spidey sense and I'll get an idea and I go this is the real deal. This is a yeah. proper collection. Because you'll have like people who, if their first words out of their mouth are, I know what I've got, you're not going to rip me off, you know, like, ah, you know, he's got yeah. a load of crap. <laughs> he's gonna have a load of crap. Um because yes. he would have already had people come over and offer him not much for not good records, and they're 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 ready with that patter. But if you have someone of course, Look, I'm downsizing, I need to ship my records, I'm moving, I can't be able to take my records again, or a family member has passed away, I have some records. And you come take a look. I'll go, okay, let's. Um, right. what, what, what can I hear? What can you tell me? And then it's, I'll travel.
1: Give us right. some of the, uh, examples of, of things that you've found you've been particularly excited about.
2: Oh, there's so many. And it's it's it, it, it gives me just tingles to think about some of the collections I've seen. And, and some I've been fortunate enough to buy, and some I haven't. I, I'll always remember the collection I went and saw in Wembley, which uh, it's. <laughs> I I try and think of it, it's such an exaggeration, but it's like the Indiana Jones of vinyl. I'll get my whip, (laughs) get my hat on, I'm like, off (laughs) I go! (laughs) Um, And I I was shown into an outhouse which must have had, oh, goodness, 15,000, 20,000 records. Really? Wow. And they were all shelved up, and one-third of the collection was Bollywood records.
0: All right.
2: And and the one aspect of this job I adore is that I've discovered entire musical genres I didn't know existed. It's not like I found the odd band and go, "Oh, that's an interesting band." I never knew they were around. I find out about entire genres. I never knew about acid folk. I never knew about acid folk. I knew about folk music, but I didn't know about acid folk. No. And now, I think, how did I manage to get so far in life without discovering acid folk? Well, because it was only
1: invented quite recently, wasn't yeah, it? It wasn't Isn't that, that name. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, oh, right. So it was a, a... I understand what you're saying now. But I, I, it was a, a name given by to a particular genre in the late 60s. But it's the bands from the 60s I'd never heard of. Bread, Love and Dreams.
0: And, um, well, I guess Tyrannosaurus Rex would have been discovered but as... It, the... It's like Mark and I have been talking about this last recently. Yeah. You know, all these groups like Trees, who at the time,
1: we remember Trees... Yeah. It was never a big deal at all. The Garden and of now, Jane Dalloni, but now there, you there we are. <laughs> you see that? I, I really interests me because if you follow this stuff that we we do, then little vogue suddenly appear, and that kind of psychedelic folk appears to be one of them, isn't it? I mean, trees are now immensely. You know that that record and on the shore. You know, um, you know, Mark Fry and uh, you know, dreaming with Alice and records like that that have been completely forgotten for you. No, you that's haven't. another great
2: example. One oh. that's Justine, like just a one-off folky proggy thing from the late
0: sixties. UK made one album. You see, take that. That's a really good example. Just hold that up a second. Now, I'm an old git, and I've worked in record shops for years, and I've got really good memory. I've never seen that record. I've never heard of that record. How many copies of that record will have been pressed? And what was the record called? And
1: what's the, what's the record called again? Uh, Justine. Justine.
2: Yeah, and it's a self-titled. It's on uni. So it's on the label Neil Young. It's on uni records. I would have thought they would have pressed a few thousand.
0: Right. And when did it come out? Oh,
1: that was uh, sixty, late 60s. So is the is the value for I a record like that as much to do with the fact that there are so few copies in existence as the fact that it's, you know, interesting to listen to? I mean, it must be just the collectability, mustn't it? There's only a few thousand.
2: I like it <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a fantastic early uh, proggy folky thing I think there's there's undeniably appeal to that sense that there's not many out there and as we know that they'll you'll be written about on certain online forums and blogs about the records that you've not got I mean the great example is the uh is the Vashli Bunyan records.
1: Yeah, no absolutely
2: which it's you know I think it was rumoured there's only 300. It's on Phillips. I mean there's a yeah. label at the time, but I think they only printed 300. Become incredibly desirable. Documentaries made. The reissues are made. And then original copies are just so hard to come
1: by. Such a good story too, isn't it? it the horse it, and it, cart. You know, it's also commune.
0: it's also the kind of if what fascinates me is the kind of invention of rarity, because you know, yeah. I used to work in record shops in the 70s, and when stuff got deleted, it just disappeared. You know, and it didn't reappear. Nobody reissued it. And now, compared to that, we live in, a, in, a, in an era of, of total availability, of absolutely everything, the flick of a switch. Therefore, the value of things that you can't get just grows all the time, doesn't it? And it's like you say about those websites where people like Vashti Bunyan and, and Trees are absolute superstars they're constantly driving the interest, aren't they, in in, in in these tiny areas that you didn't know much about? Yeah, it's, uh,
2: it's something I often find myself thinking so much about, having worked in the music industry before the internet and then after, and how this availability of certain things, but then also the scarcity of other things, or you're, you're becoming aware of things that were just forgotten about but now they become quite desirable. It's a really peculiar mixture. It is. I think it's about what drives you and what drives you as a music fan and as a vinyl fan. Yeah. What part of it is it being a collector? What part of it is about being uh, a music lover? And I think I've got to the certain point where, for me, it's a combination of the two. I love the scarcity. I love the idea of finding records. record. Because when I saw that in a collection of records I bought, I'm like, I'm never going to see this record ever again. And here it is under someone's stairs down the road from where I used to live. This is what the story of this is just unbelievable. I, I paid a fortune for that collection. And the, the, the guy almost fainted when I offered. So like, how much? I said, you've got an incredible record collection and I really want it. and I'm going to keep most of it myself. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 glorious. I was talking about Wembley. <laughs> I got completely distracted. Oh, uh, right, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just like, it, it's somewhat linked. It's, it's these very normal-looking houses which ho- house, you know, they're libraries, they're libraries of records. And, and what I loved so much about this collection I saw in Wembley was I was, I was I was in my element because the people left me alone and I was there for five hours going through as many of these records I could. They'd occasionally come bring me a cup of tea and biscuits. Glorious. They offered me dinner. I turned that down. But you just, as long as I'm there with my phone and I'm jumping on eBay, Discog, Spotify, YouTube, just to kind of get as much information as possible. Sometimes I it's you know, it's sad when I don't get a collection, but actually what an honor, what an honor just to have a little, you know, to see a part of this person's life, because that's what a record collection is. Mm. A spot fly playlist is it says so much, but to make that commitment of that buying the record, keeping it, putting it on the shelf, you can tell a lot by someone by their record collection. Mm. And I, I get to see many people's lives through their record collections. Um, I, I was shown out of the outhouse in Wembley, and then they go, oh, "We're not finished," and they showed me into another room where there was like another five thousand records, all sealed. Sealed. They bought. They were a hoarder. And they just bought and bought and bought and bought. And there were box sets, or sealed. And I offered an eye watering amount of money. And then I later found out that a rather large, famous London store with multiple, multiple stores offered <laughs> way more than I even offered. And they got the collection. And it but it's yeah, like the one that where I bought the Vashti Bunyan. There's this little, I walk past this house and it just looks like a normal house. And you open up and and through their records see a, a someone's entire life story
0: yeah.
2: and it's it's somewhat heartbreaking to buy that and then separate it but then I get all a little bit sort of <laughs> grandiose I kind of think I'm, a, I'm just a temporary custodian for these sound vessels my, my job is to if you look after these records they will outlast all of us so my my job is to find the ones that aren't loved anymore give it a bit of TLC find it a new home where it will continue to be loved and it will be loved by the person who gets it after that and loved by the person that is, is loved after that and what what a part of i'm playing a part of this vinyl records journey and yeah, mm. I, I absolutely adore
1: you started so, a thing in lockdown i think where you were uh, the kind of mystery vinyl packages where you 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 talk to people and you got some idea of what their musical taste was and then you sent them a selection of stuff you'd chosen that if they thought they might like. Is that right?
2: That's right, yeah. I did that with my old colleague in the old shop, and oh, that was so much fun. because That's a brilliant go, thing. People can go to record shops. They couldn't they couldn't browse. They couldn't take a punt. They could go, oh, that looks interesting. So we just tried to be that for them through these monthly packs. And it was a lot of fun. It was also a lot of pressure, because when you'd been sending records to the same person for about 18 months... God,
1: have i only sent that. Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it, it becomes too much. And that's when the sort of, for me, the flick throughs, the flick throughs So it's a
1: kind of it. evangelism, isn't it?
2: evangelism
1: yeah yeah just trying to kind of turning people on to stuff can you give us some examples of, of records that you, you you connected people with and they were particularly excited about the
2: one that always comes to mind is that i i sent someone a uh a, a record by a band called the nightingales which were like a, a jingly jangly 80s indie band and he's like that's my new favorite band ever you've, you've, you've yeah. introduced me to my new favorite band and i was like wow that's been on the shelf for a good while <laughs> we weren't able to sell it this is great yes, i'm sure yeah. But you, you 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 get an idea of what people like, and occasionally it really hits. And I was I was really always expecting every month for a bunch of people to say, I'm "Going to send these back." But more often than not, people are like, "Well, not quite right for me this month, but it's fine." It'll right. sit nicely on my shelf, and you're like, "Oh, okay." So I think people were really into the idea,
0: even if they weren't always into the records we sent them. So how, let's talk about prices. You've got a David Bowie record behind you there. Um first press stereo uk okay how much if you were selling that
2: if i was selling that I, I i that's one of the better ones i've seen i think that would
0: be edging towards a thousand really yeah so the, you apparently. say you say first press it's a so yeah tell us the tell us the characteristics that make you uh, uh, you know uh, think it's worth that much you say first pressing how do you know
2: So there's there's a lot of little telltale signs. Right. And there's online, um, there's people with a lot more time on their hands than me who will tell you what was a first press, what was a second press. I think the first thing you always look for are the matrix numbers. It's the
0: matrix numbers, right. Yeah, which
2: are the numbers written in the, the, the dead wax of the groove. Yeah. And obviously those will tell you what stamper was used to make that record at that time. But then there's sometimes some little variations on the label uh, in the centre of the record. And there's variations on the sleeve. So, and then people who have again got more time than I have will will do a bit of research about what labels they use. Was it a rough texture or smooth texture? Why were the first 500 rough? Why were the you know the next one smooth?
1: Oh God, it's so complicated. We well, see what's fascinating. This makes, this
0: makes the wine business look like a like is, a, a pushover. But what's fascinating <laughs> to me about this is when the in the days when vinyl was the thing, because there was nothing else, nobody ever talked about any of those things ever, not ever. And it's just in the last ten years, it's suddenly it's a field of uh, you know people's interest. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, I talked to the, I interviewed the guy. <laughs> When I wrote my book about, about the LP, I told the guy who used to run an uh, EMI pressing plant at Hayes. So he ran it for 20 years, you know, through the 60s and 70s. I said, you must have loads of white labels and autographed records. He said, not a single one. Not a single one. I could have had everything. He said, nobody ever thought of it at all. They, they were mere
2: vessels. They were mere, they were, they were the, yeah. the the idea of you just getting the music to your ears. Yeah, of course it was. It, it's, it's the color, it's, it's the, it's the sense of the, we've, we've created a culture around something that didn't, didn't at the time mean much. And and I, I paused as I was talking because my, my family history, my, my grandfather was an antiques dealer when antiques dealing wasn't really a thing. And I, and I, and I often make this comparison, you know, when they're making sugar bowls in the, the 1600s just making sugar bowls to hold sugar
0: yeah, yeah sure
2: and then over time they're like well, oh, that's a that's 200 years old i'm not gonna yeah, put yeah. sugar in that anymore you know so yeah there, there's undeniably an aspect of that and we we live in a culture where everything's about collecting well i, I, I said everything and what comes to my mind there is i'm fascinated by the nft market i'm fascinated by pokemon cards i'm fascinated by these people who are Collecting things, and especially things that connected to their youth, because this is where my psychotherapy brain kind of kicks in. They're trying to recapture something. They're trying to reconnect with a part of themselves that they're not connecting with anymore. Mm. They're trying to hold on to a feeling which may have long since gone. And for that brief moment when they're holding something that takes them back to that moment, that they brought comfort, they brought a bit of calm. And I think a lot of people are like that with vinyl records. The difference with vinyl records is that you can play them. Yes, there's <laughs> something that really, genuinely is real about it, and I won't get into the debate of does a vinyl record sound better than an MP3 or a CD because I don't deal in that aspect of things. No, I love products. I like a, and for me, the fallible, the, the 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 fact that records are fallible, the fact that they can be scratched, yeah, and covers can be written on, for me, just adds to the joy because oh, it's it something about yeah getting a record which has uh Julie, Liverpool,
0: and you're like, ah, oh, this was someone's treasure. Well, it's yours, you see. The thing about yeah. it, the, the great weakness of CDs is they were never yours. Your copy of, you know, whatever, classic CD, looked the same as absolutely everybody else's. Whereas it in the Asia, in the, the, the LP, everybody's felt slightly different. It
1: felt different.
0: Because they were yeah. all slightly older or slightly newer. slightly
1: different colors yes occasionally different pressings and different typographies
0: yeah coffee
1: stains just idiosyncrasies and
0: people would write on them absolutely yeah it's it's funny as well because
1: but doesn't that devalue it if somebody has written so if you're selling that absolutely yeah but i mean but you know but it's it's still you find that attractive
2: Oh, it's, they the, the, they were used. They were, I mean, yeah. anything sander than a toy still in its packaging. I mean, it's just like, you know, a poor toy stuck behind a plastic, you know, yeah. the Star <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. unplayed, unloved. Yeah. And I will sometimes look through a record collection and I'm looking at some of the most sought after records you've ever seen and they are written across this they're scratched and you're like, well, they were well loved, <laughs> and they were they were they were used for what they were meant to be used for. Uh, I can't buy them, unfortunately, but I've gone online, and these are worth thousands. Yes, these ones aren't worth thousands if they're in good condition. They're worth
0: thousands. These ones are just too difficult to rehome. So, is that generally the problem with people who are selling you stuff that, that people trying trying to they always think things are worth more than they are? I've, I've encountered that. I've encountered people who.
2: Um, I recently bought a collection and as I walked in, the guy goes, I I, I was up all night and I've looked online and these are worth thousands and thousands of pounds. And he held up a Moody Blues record. and goes, this is on sale online for 350 pound. And it was like the Moody Blues, one of the millions of albums they released. And you're like, there is likely someone on eBay right now asking for three hundred and fifty pounds for that record. Whether they'll you will likely be asking for three hundred and fifty pounds in ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> <Depending> <laughs> on yeah. And um, and it's difficult because you hold that position of knowledge, and you also understand that you're deflating someone. Yeah. They think they've found their way out of you know a way of paying their life for the next few years or whatever, and you're kind of going, "I'm never so sorry." I can make you an offer, but I think it's going to be considerably less than what you
1: but think. But they're just, you can understand it, all they want to do really is just give you the impression that they do know what roughly what the value of these things are, so they might not be taken advantage of, not that you would take advantage of them. Well, that's, I guess, what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's it. I think there's a lot of fear. I
2: mean, I, I really, I think what I have tried to do with Brighter Day is that I've tried to find a middle ground between the people who are nameless and faceless and they will advertise, they'll go to people's houses, they will buy collections and they say, I'm doing you a favour by getting rid of these for you. And the, the big shops who are very well known in Soho and other second home rental shops. i try tried to find that middle ground because I'm very proud of my brand and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that people can trust me. I think the fact that, there's a lot of ethics involved when you're training to be a psychotherapist. So, you know, I make sure people know that I have other interests and I do other things. So when you're sitting in front of someone and you're going through their records, you say, they're likely worth this. And thus I can offer you this. And there's always many ways to skin a cat. Sometimes I've sat in front of record collections and gone. These two records are worth this. The rest are worth this. So I'm going to sell these two for you and I'm going to give you everything I make.
0: But these ones you're going to accept my very reasonable offer for because really? they're going to take longer to sell. So are they surprised by the things they've got that are valuable? They're very often not the ones they think are valuable, is it? Well, they I think they coincide valuability with popularity. Yeah. But that's a Beatles record. Well, they printed a lot of them. <laughs> yes, they did yeah, quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, so there's, uh, there's that people marry up things that don't usually you know, measure up
0: So when you're when you're called out, you know, and you're very often, you know, people have been bereaved, and you know, there's dad's record collection, like mine, whatever, in the attic, and they want to get rid of it, you know, Um, which must be interesting and poignant in its own way. What are the kind of things that you're you're hoping might be there? You know, do you have the Vashti Bunyan you talked about? You know, earlier on. Is, is the stuff you're always looking for? You're thinking, I'm, I'm eventually going to come upon a copy of this, that or the other.
2: I, it, it, what occurs to me immediately is just a genuine collection, a collection that's not been picked through dozens of times and you're left then with the, the remnants of what was So
0: you can, you can tell when that's happened, can yeah. you?
2: Well, when this you see be- a record collection and you say, I'm seeing everything but the Beatles and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the cousins come over and took the Beatles.
0: Yeah.
2: I knew this was Missing the beat right. or Pink right. Lloyd or something.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: But what am I looking for? I think...
1: Yeah, there must be a holy grail, mustn't there? There must be a few records that you just think I'd love to get, like that Vashti Bunyan. That was an
2: absolute holy grail. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, bought, yeah. I bought a reissue just a month before, thinking I'm never going to find an original, and, and and the vinyl gods blessed me that day. Um, for me, going through a big folk phase, it's just, just nice... Original folk like Shirley Collins and anything David Graham, just like right. you know, it's just a, a joy.
1: You got folk roots, new roots. I can see down there. Yeah, it's an
2: absolute. Justice. Is
1: that is that really valuable now?
2: Originals, yeah. Originals, yeah. A few hundred, perhaps. Um, that's an Australian original because they printed it in <laughs> UK, New Zealand, and Australia for some reason. So that's right. an original. Yeah. Um, just authentic collections because for me, I I, I try to. Just cater for everyone's tastes. And also I, 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 I'm not in a position to turn down a collection just because it's not my type of music. One of the most significant collections I bought was a reggae collection. And the, the knowledge I gained by the time I reached the end of that collection, working my way through it and learning about Studio One and the different yeah. pressings. And, yeah. You just, you just sort of, you just take it all on board. And I grew up in a house full of music, and I worked in the music industry for twenty years, and I've learned more Isn't running it? record shops in four years than I did.
0: But well, this is is the great truth about music: is that it, is that if you know a lot about it, all you mainly know is how little you know. You know, because there are a whole other worlds over there that you will never have time to get into, and you know, unless work what work, works bring, brings you into contact with it. You recently bought. Uh the collection of the late Roger Saint Pierre, the, who was a kind of journalist, collector, expert on kind of soul and R and B, is that fair to say? Uh so was that his family on touch with you? How did this work? Yeah, so his son-in-law
2: got in touch. Um he'd been following me on Twitter for a while. Um, Roger had passed away, and he reached out to say they're working through his estate. Some items are going to go to auction, some items we're going to keep, and then there's the other items. At some point, would you like to come take a look? And it, it took a while because there was lots of other things that took priority, understandably. And then on Christmas Day, I got a message saying, I think we're ready for you to come take a look. Christmas Day, <laughs> wow. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Um, so I made arrangements. Um soon into January and I, I went down to Kent to a storage lockup and I was, and, uh, and the son-in-law was, we, we, you know, we hope they're for you. Um, and I opened the, the, and I was open the storage locker and I was presented by about 14 boxes full of records. And within the first box I saw just everything I looked for, authenticity, originals and it's soul it's blues it's r&b and it's just everything had roger's name in the top right hand corner roger on the label wrote his name and i just saw that as just a a wonderful slice of authenticity well you know treasured uk music journalist this was his copy and i asked and i got to meet roger's daughter who who joined us i said would you mind if i Told people, I mean, they're going to know because his name's on like, it. <laughs> I tell people this was from Roger's collection, and she gave me permission. And I've had so much fun communicating that to the people buying records from me. That so this this was owned by Roger. Roger in here, and um, and they've taken great joy in that because they've then shared with me what it means to have bought a record from Roger's collection. So. It's not Julie from Liverpool, although I find loving that, you know, Julie yes. from Liverpool wrote her name on her copy of Meet the Beatles. But I think there's just that, that you know, what is it we do when we're collectors? This want a bit of authenticity to feel a bit more connected. And I was very fortunate because whilst Roger's family had taken out some specific items, they also left some absolute treasures. And I found a number of signed Marvin Gaye records, a number of wow. signs... James Brown records and Little Richard. And I think I don't wish to speak for us all here, but I'm confident to think that we would be sitting here if it wasn't for Little Richard. Mm. (laughs) And there was a Little Richard signed record and to hold something, I'm a bit emotional to hold something
0: that was once touched and signed by Little Richard. Why I do what I do? You must spend a huge amount of time at the post office. (laughs) (laughs) In my Christmas cards to them this year, I put, you
2: are the closest I have to work, colleagues. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the the eyes, the rolling eyes, and the the record man's here.
0: (laughs) Do you pick a, would you you like to recommend a good time of day to go in your post Uh, office? There's no such thing. There there isn't, (laughs) is there? (laughs) There's no such thing. Every
2: time I think, I found the method, it's at this time, I walk in and there's a huge queue. And and I, I do all my postage at home. So we're going straight from postage from Little Richard to postage. Right, it's all yeah. part of the thing. Um, I do all my postage at home, and although I just go there to drop off, I, I never like to jump the queue because I think it's unfair. So I'll queue right. up just to drop off. But the 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 groans of people behind me as I'm
0: there there. <laughs> is no best
1: because they think you're about to postage stamps for South America. <laughs> what <are> you
0: got? <laughs> what you got to do uh, one of these days is when you go in there and you post all your stuff and you have got all the people standing behind you so- sighing and and you get to the final you know package and then you go oh yes and I'd like to change my nationality, change my nationality. <laughs> The
1: old kipper williams cartoons yes. <laughs> he was still makes me laugh <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you
0: think uh, is is now a kind of perfect time in the sense that the kind of baby boomers are reaching the point where they shuffle off
1: this mortal record collection, and it's possible. Yeah, winning. Danny Baker's a good example. Yes. To see. there's Danny Baker. He's very publicly selling. I can't remember how many is twelve thousand albums. that's a lot. Like that. yeah, yeah, a yeah, huge, huge number. I mean, this is not going to go on forever, is it?
2: I had I had a number of people message me saying, "Are you buying Danny Baker's collection? Are you buying Danny Baker?" I'm sure. And. um and unfortunately, not. I I, I attended I him a couple of times because he's threatened to sell his collection for a while. I said, you know, maybe we can come to an arrangement. But even I have my limits. I I, I I sometimes go see collections, and I think the the Wembley one was a good example. Where it's like, you know, I, I only have so much room. Um, so I think what I've discovered when I when I've gone to families where someone's passed away. And if there's still a sort of a fifties into early sixties, I went and saw a collection not too far from here in in Chingford. And well, aside from the, they they said they had 30,000 VHS tapes. I mean, the house was just crammed full of stuff. They had about uh, 800 records. And from what I could gather, they bought them, put them in a plastic sleeve, put them on the shelf and never touched them again. It was just immaculate. And I was thinking, if this was sixties into early seventies, I'd possibly be looking at one of the greatest record collections in my mm. life. But it was fifties, just into the sixties so there was loads of country (laughs) if you wanted that conway twitty
0: album in mint condition i'm your man man? well you see it may there may be a demand eventually you see you never know there may be but there was a sliver of 60s some early Beatles, and they were just in
2: wonderful condition um but there wasn't it was i bought the collection because i thought there's there's enough here but uh I'm thinking in about five to ten years' time, I'm going to be seeing the collections which are, you know, 60s into early 70s. Um, not quite there yet. But, right. you know, some of the calls I get are are, are that, but the people are, tend to be still around and they're moving or they're having to
0: downsize. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. So look, the way we traditionally wind up these conversations, we could go on for a all day on this because I'm absolutely fascinated what is in your opinion the greatest record ever made do you know I the I just happen
1: to have one here sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh okay which oh, the first record Guns the first the record bought. Oh, well. it, it,
2: it's too intertwined with my uh, my memories my but 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 I, I had a, I had my number two favorite album of all time
0: okay, right.
1: oh yeah go on oh.
0: Okay, oh, right, okay. Pumpkin, Great
1: Dream,
0: cover. Yeah. Yes. Pumpkin, Siamese Dream, um,
2: for me, very much um, linked to my, my, my teenage self, my teenage life. For me, um, sonically, uh, produced by Butch Vig, who did Nevermind and he was in Garbage, it's, sonically, it's one of the most delicately hedonistic it's so dynamic at one moment it's there's so much going on and then at other moments it's so delicate and quiet and intimate. And for me, it's a perfect audio representation of what my teenage life was like. It's just crazy. And then it was delicate and then it was fast and then it was slow. And I I, 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 there are records which feel like they're a part of me. Um, and Siamese Dream is a band that I feel is like a part of me, so I will always have a very closeness to that record. And, um, and I and I, I do love Smashing Pumpkins. I, I kind of see, I always kind of see Billy Corgan as a bit like uh, Samson, he, he lost all his powers when he lost his hair. So, oh. those first few Smashing Pumpkins albums were very emotive and, and deep. And then I think
0: the rock star was erupted. and I can't Well, I'd never heard that theory before. Yeah, no, that's that. Very I'm interesting. all in favour of that. I'm a hair-based theories of popular music yeah. I'm always in the market for. And, and 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 Pumpkins are one of the few bands that I
2: get a little bit bit crazy with. So I, I have the original test
0: pressing of Siamese Dream. Right. With, oh, uh, we haven't we haven't even talked about test pressings, and white labels, and so forth. That's got to be for another time. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joel, thank you very much for talking to us. And I, and if people wanted to get in touch with you, you're happy for them to to join your uh, flick through Thursdays, seven thirty. Is that is that the case? Thursday, Thursday, BBC One. They're very welcome, of course. Yeah, brighter day
2: record shop. I, I, you'll find me on a social near you. This podcast was brought to you by the word. <laughs>